Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 77 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Metaverse's Bob Baffert. And I'm joined here by my exemplar co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a man who once held a stock up over 90 RSI for 300 straight days, the golden child of House Street, JJ. Good, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. And our guest today was a former esports professional turned short selling phenom. One of the best follows on FinTwit, constantly dropping gems on a weekly basis, making his second appearance on the podcast, the man who could care less about win rate. Of course, I am talking about the sensation, Brian Lee. Brian, welcome back, man. How's it going? It's, uh, it's going great. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely, man. It's 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 a fun uh, for me this time around because uh, I don't know if you're inspiration. I'm sure at least a little bit, but I'm uh, exclusively uh, exclusively short selling now, so um, I got a different perspective this time around. But uh, you know, me, me and JJ, we were talking, man. We we seen um, you've made some new purchases mm-hmm. uh, recently. Oh. Uh, you, you mind telling us about it, man? I seen you uh, maybe getting enthusiasm for watches. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got addicted to watches and, um, <laughs> you know, I have I have my limits now where there are some that are I'm, I'm just like, if I get this watch, which is like Richard Mille, I'm like, that's when I know I'm full degenerate. But um, it, for me, it's more of a reward because I look at it as something where I, I a place like meaning towards it. So a lot of the watches I have, I think about certain milestones or different times in my career. And that's why I'll remember them by and as well as just, you know, I want to reward, my, reward myself for the progress I've made. And it's really not irresponsible for me to make these purchases at all. So I feel like the symbolism behind them and just my enthusiasm for it, uh, it's just something I love to do. And I just really dug into to watches. Yeah, lately. dude, that's awesome, man. I, I love it, man. We're, we're talking about watches and uh, you have a thought out um you know, reasoning uh, behind it, where it's like, you know, me, JJ, if I get like a, you know, get something nice, get a Versace belt, man, I'm just trying to look <laughs> nice when I go out, man. I'm just trying to... <laughs> just try to look fresh. You know? <laughs> I-, I love it. No, I mean, it, that's totally true, Brian. It, and I, I really um, I love that concept. And I think that's something I've been seeing you talk about. Um, you know, I mentioned in the intro, you're a great follow on on Twitter, and you really are, because I, I think you, you're, it's always thoughtful, um, and I think I've seen something you've been talking about recently is kind of like, yeah, rewarding yourself or paying yourself, treating it like a business. And I think that makes a hundred percent sense. And um, yeah, I don't know if this is that anything you want to speak to. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately, that's what really changed everything for me is just thinking about this as a business. And I, from time to time, I'll talk to traders who have like absolutely no respect for the game. And yeah, I have to, I have to tell them off and usually pretty harshly. <laughs> I think that this game is no joke. And the fact that people can get so lucky and just ascribe like, hey, I'm so skilled now to that. It's just such a dangerous thing because the market with time is just going to humble you. For me, um, rewarding yourself is pretty important just because we deal with a lot of money and a lot of times there's no context for what it actually can do in the real world. So when I'm able to travel, when I'm able to buy things for myself, as long as it's you know responsible purchase, um, it really helps me kind of ground myself like, oh, you know, this is not just 
points. Like this is something that this is what I can do with this money. This is this is something that I'm grateful for. And I think that makes everyone a better trader when they can actually apply that money towards the real life. I love it. Absolutely love it. And you also um seen you got yourself a Tesla too, man. How 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 are you enjoying that? Do you like it? I, I love it. I honestly wish I got it sooner. That, that's my only regret. Um it's it's so fun to drive. I feel like every time I get on the highway, I just want to gun it immediately. And I've done a couple of road trips with it where <laughs> I've, I've taken it up to Yosemite up and down. And it's, it's been awesome because like when I used to drive a civic, it was so difficult going up those Hills, but with the Tesla, it's just like, it's like butter. It's just butterly smooth. And it's just, a, it's so fun to drive, honestly. Nice. Excellent. Love to That's hear cool. it. All right. Just a reminder to listeners, if like to join JJ, myself and a sport of community traders, you could join us at microefutures.com. JJ, um, I don't know. I, I don't think I could see you uh, whipping a Tesla. I, I don't know. I, do I, I'm dying to drive one, right? Yeah. I can't wait to drive one. When I was living in Vancouver, at least once a week, I'd almost get run over what, by one because you can't hear the damn things coming. But I've never had an opportunity, and I'm in Saskatchewan right now. And, you know, with our winters here, that battery would last maybe 20 minutes to half an hour. Mm. You know, when it's minus 60 you know, if your car can't start, your, you know, your life's in trouble. So, <laughs> you know, but I'm really dying to try one because I hear all these things about it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have respect for, uh, for Elon, especially as, uh, as a showman, you know, uh, I have a lot of respect for, especially how he runs that deal. So I'd love to take a drive in one to be, uh, still looking forward to it. Maybe when I get to England. There you go. There you go. So Brian, it's been a year. Um, since we've had you on, I guess, uh, you know, a lot of things happening in your life, a lot of things just happen in general. Um, I guess we'll start with you. Uh, you spoke at the trader, uh, traders for a cause conference. Uh, how was that experience? Traders for a cause was amazing. Um, just in one word, it's, it was something, it blew up every single expectation I had for the event, just because the amount of like, I don't want to say networking cause it has so many connotations with it, but just the amount of conversations I had and the people I got to meet, it was like eye-opening. And speaking at the event was something that I was, I've never done that before. I've never gone on stage and done public speaking like this, but I practiced for many, many weeks. And I, I just went with something that was close to my heart and it was really well-received. I think I was told that I got the only standing ovation um, mid-speech ever in Traders for Cause history. And that was like a huge honor because I, I was so nervous up to that point, but it was something that was really important to me because, um, I felt like a lot of traders I was talking to at that event and also just online from day to day, it was something that I felt like they needed to hear and they needed to hear it from somebody who was not going to like filter out a lot of the details and be afraid to be vulnerable. So because of all those people, it gave me a lot of like inspiration and a lot of, uh, you know, energy while I was on stage. So I was super nervous just because I kept messing up in practice, but I guess it went really smoothly. And I think, um, that, that choice to go up and speak enabled me to kind of reach out and talk to a lot of traders who I actually really look up to and have been like a huge, um, aspect of my journey. So being able to speak to them face to face and, just like ask them what kind of wisdom they have, what kind of insights they have for me. That was really big because um, 
one thing that I, I think about a lot is the sustainability of the, you know, trading is so stressful. Sure. And I got to speak with a lot of probably the best traders I know and ask them, you know, like, how was this for you achieving such high success? Is this something that you, were there any regrets about it? And, you know, like I expected these people to exude a different type of energy, but it was actually very sobering because like a lot of times um, they express, you know, how the stress has gone to them in one way or the other, Mm -hmm. how success is not everything that it's kind of cooked up to be. And that helped kind of reaffirm my own philosophy about this journey in that I don't need to kind of like excel at like a super fast rate and just burn myself out. Like I'm more here for the long run. And I already know like what my path looks like. And I think what happens is a lot of traders that hear this information, like you must put it all on the line and like go, go massive balls to the walls on like these opportunities. But as far as I can tell from 2024, there's been opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and being able to actually execute on it is far more important than being able to put the size on it because I've seen countless times traders messing this up because they feel like they need to go huge and then they'll take their biggest losses ever, or they'll hit this point where like now everything else pales into comparison to this trade. So they're always looking for that next kind of dopamine hit. Yeah. And it can be really destructive because even their execution is just very poor. Like I've seen lots of trades where, you know, I've even myself have been tempted to make these kind of trades and I just completely botched them as somebody who's, prides himself on being able to execute pretty well like as soon as i go into that state of mind where i feel like i need to rush things or go massive like i just can't execute the same way and so um, being able to talk to these traders and understand like okay i've even you know i've heard people i don't want to like um you know disrespect anyone but i mean it respectfully that i took their words to heart i've heard things like i feel like i lost years of my life doing this i feel like it wasn't worth it. I've like 10 X my career in this last year. I don't think it was worth it for me because of the stress. I've had nightmares, stuff like that. Some people have said like, I don't know uh, what it's like to have like purpose anymore because I basically, you know, I, I don't really need to do this anymore. And so like, for me, answering these questions and being able to talk to people with that experience has been like really enlightening for me. And I think I became a, a totally different person um, in terms of the way I, I look at things after this event. And um, it just kind of like pieced everything together for me in like a really, I don't know, kind of beautiful way for myself. And uh, it's something that I had so much fun at just talking with everybody. Like I would, even though I wasn't getting much sleep every night because everyone was just partying all night, mm-hmm. I still made an effort to wake up so I could be available for all the traders to talk to. And that to me, that was like amazing. So like, I'm always going to be there. I, I fully support the cause and I'll, you know, I even sponsor some traders to go there myself. Like I had them, uh, send in like applications of their story and what their motivation was. And I got them, I got them tickets and, uh, most of them made it, which was great to see. And a lot of them, like, you know, it, they said like, it meant a lot to them because like having someone backing them or having someone believe in them inspired them to kind of perform better leading up to the event and also just 
past that event. So like the entire experience was like one of the things I always cherish the first Traders for God event. Like it was like one of the best experiences of my life. <laughs> cool. That's, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, a lot to, to unpack in, in what you just said. And, and um, I guess like the first thing, like I, I was thinking like the, uh, cause I've had these similar thoughts um, as far as like the, the, the stress that can come from these activities um, the longevity um, of it. And I, I really, I really love what you're saying about like you, you're in this for the long haul because, you know, it, the, the line can be, I think, so, you know, people can use, you know, I, I throw around the term degenerate like real loosely, but like people can use this as like the next dopamine hit. Like this can almost become an addiction like in itself. Um, and it can really wear on you, et cetera, et cetera. JJ, I know you know more so than probably <laughs> anybody, you know, what, what this can do to people. And um, yeah. just having that real, you know, the, the real thought out, like step back. Um, well, yeah, go ahead, Jay, go ahead. One thing I got to give you guys credit for, right? Uh, this younger generation, and people don't like giving young people credit for things. But the, your awareness of this stuff um, is really, really cool. And that you guys have the balls to actually say, you know what? I'm stressed out. Because in my day, if you say you're stressed out, that was like, what? You're a pussy. You're fired. Right? Right? Like, seriously, that's, that's how they used to like, you don't ever, ever admit weakness. Right? And But look what it does to people. Heart attacks at 44. Right? You know, yeah. uh, you know, jumping off in front of trades, things like that. So you guys, I really have to hand it to you guys that that you have the wherewithal to, you know, to admit, you know, this is like, you know, because in my generation, we just, you know, like Ray says, close your eyes and we just jumped into it. Right. We didn't even think. Right. Because we were just you'd go for 10 years. And then after 10 years, you'd be like, oh, God, you know, oh, I'm in the hospital. Right. Uh, you guys, I have to credit your your generation for having the awareness to do that. I think that's very admirable. You know, um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a lot of a lot of good a lot of good stuff you you touched on, Brian. Yeah. Um, what was what was the uh, the topic that you spoke to? So I talked about how I blew up my account. Like, what was the process of this, and how I basically compounded my account from just over PDT risking literally $50, if not $25 at the lowest points to building it over a million dollars of net profits. And um, what is the way that traders can kind of utilize the method that I did with sizing and growth and just what are the emotions behind like taking it to that next level when you're starting at absolute rock bottom and um, this I think is a topic that's not really well explained. Like if you ask people, when do I size up and more importantly, when do I size down? Like their answers are just very generic and you can't really draw anything from this. So I think one of the biggest problems that faces traders in their careers is that they just cannot control their position sizing, um, in a methodical fashion. And by being able to, to control your position size, you basically elongate the amount of opportunities you can take in your career. And therefore you can take more pain, more experience. And when you're, when you really have your heart set on trading professionally and, you know, treating it very seriously, it's really only a matter of time before you figure it out. So 
I think the problem with a lot of traders these days is that they see all these traders with all these huge uh, statistics and like huge wins making it um, basically out of nowhere, but they have completely no respect for the process. And I think that telling a story of how growing too quickly and just the, the wrong set of circumstances can wipe out pretty much all of your work before you can even, you know, take it to the next level. And I think that's like the worst mistake you can make because trading pays off exponentially once you kind of get to that point. And so that's survival is just the utmost importance. Yep, survival. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, when, when you've had moments um, in your trading career, um, you know, I guess coming back to, you know, the stress and the longevity of trading, like, like when you've had these thoughts or maybe you felt, you know, it, the grind wearing on you, what, what's, what are some, maybe some go-tos that you do to, uh, you know, center yourself? Well, I have this kind of strategy that I developed. I, I learned it online. Um, I forgot the woman, but uh, I have like this three, two, one, I just count down. And at times where I was like, I couldn't even be bothered to get out of bed because I was, the pain was just so much. Um, I would just count down three, two, one, and just get up no matter what and just show up at the desk. Showing up is half the battle at those points when things are just so heavy. And I think by, you know, positioning correctly, sizing up, sizing down, um, treating it kind of like, you know, I always told myself, you are exactly where you need to be in your career. And I even told myself this after I blew up my account, because obviously I wasn't prepared to take it to that level. So by kind of recognizing that I'm going to earn my place in this industry, or at least for myself in every single respect, that was the one thing that really kept me going because I realized like, you know, I didn't put in enough work. I didn't put in enough time. There's things I could do better. And it's to me, the path was clear in a sense that, you know, if you can execute well with like a hundred dollars risk, you can do the same thing with a thousand or 10,000. There's going to be little nuances in the, in the sense that there's liquidity, but, um, as long as you kind of hit those different milestones um, in a controlled manner, you're going to be able to learn like what you can and cannot get away with anymore. And so that really helps with kind of balancing out like what this journey is all about. So the main thing I talked about was compounding, which I talk about all the time, but essentially your risk is scaling with your account growth and your account growth is the metric by which you gauge your actual performance. It's whether it's your strategy's performance, um, you might have things that you need to fix if it's going poorly, or it could just straight up be the market conditions. But in either case, you do want to be sizing based on your performance because what it does is it enables you to be at your lowest risk when things are the, the worst for you and be at your best risk when you have the momentum behind your back. So I think like that process in of itself helped me kind of get through the waves because like it, there's something about it where, you know, like your first time you have like a fat loss and then you, um, like on a new risk, it's scary. But like, if you size down and you take the same proportional risk, like let's say you took like a minus like six R on a lower risk, like it doesn't actually affect you anymore because you've already been at that level. And so 
that was really comforting when I did take consecutive back-to-back losses. And then the actual like incline, when you start building that momentum, when things start working, it's very fast. So I was able to like really grow my account in this, in a way that was like flowing with my own mentality with the market and with my strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we had a, we had a quite one of the listener questions. It's kind of along the lines of what we're talking about. And he was, he was, um, I can't, I can't find it here, but I remember, I remember, um, I'll paraphrase it. Um, sorry, sorry to the guy who submitted it, but he was talking about between having a, a C having like, or talking about sizing up, um, when you're newer or defining between a, um, Hey, this is a really good setup an a setup compared to like, let's say a B setup and how does somebody new, um, you know, understand, you know, how, you know, how to put more size on a setup when they're so new. Um, obviously, you know, there's some nuance here, but what would you say to that? So I, I would say, and this is one of the things that I get like the most crap for that you should just have absolutely no conviction on anything, but you should understand basically like what is the ideal conditions for your setup. So, I mean, like, you know, if you're a short seller and the stock is literally at the lows of its range or ha- like below the mid part of its range, then obviously it's not going to be as good as the setup with the risk reward at the, at the highest points of its range, like near the highs. So you can, in a sense, gauge like whether an opportunity will have more, you know, quality to it. But I think that most traders are simply just not, you know, most traders are just too small and they can't even take advantage of these opportunities in the way that I feel like they think they should. Basically what they're doing is they're just forcing the next risk level when there's no merit for this. And the, the funny thing is like the way that I build my account is instead of trying to like size up two opportunities or four opportunities, I try to have my risk so large that opportunities are not even worth taking. So I'm taking only the better setups versus the ones that I literally can't be bothered with. And at a point, like when your account is that big or when you're thinking in these terms, like, yes, you can take advantage of these massive opportunities where there's basically unlimited liquidity. But when you're a small account, you're doubling up into something where that could just be someone's normal risk. And it feels big to you, but in terms of liquidity of the actual play, like that's not an A plus setup. And what I think is a problem with FinTwit in general is that there is like no empathy for traders who are actually just trading their own bankroll and who are trying to do this like seriously because what I don't think that rushing the journey has that much benefits for you as a trader because there are so many things that you need to learn in between those levels. And like this journey is so insanely parabolic where it's like, all I wanted to do this year was two or three times last year. And I'm already six times last year by never, by not having conviction, anything by just trading well, having the ability to execute. And the funny thing is like, I see, I see so many traders who just like fail at these opportunities or they have this huge mindset of like, okay, everyone believes this thing is going to be a plus let's all pile into it. And they take massive losses and that can set you back mentally, but for newer traders that can literally just ruin your account. 
And to me, the account value is the most important thing because that allows me to pay myself. That allows me to get to the next level. And I just think that, you know, it's, it's kind of irresponsible, I, I think, to give this advice because traders really are not going to get to that next level by like rushing the process. I mean, in my opinion, if you have absolutely no conviction, but you do believe things will work out the way they will because of your back tests, you'll be able to capture basically every opportunity available versus, you know, some traders, they get nervous or they, they mess up on these trades that present themselves just because like they have so many emotions about like, what do I do? What do I do? Whereas like, I see this, I see that, I see this, I see that I take it, I take it, I take it. I don't care. I take, I take the risk to me, the not putting on risk is more, uh, painful than actually like putting the money down and losing it because I know like letting my edge play out is the number one important thing for systematic traders. If you miss one trade, it is really a massive fail because like the system has to play out over the long run. So the, I take, I take that uh, kind of belief system and it, it's got me really far. Like in trading, you can already make so much more money than anyone else in the entire world. And I don't see why you need more. It's like, you can make millions of dollars a year without even like actually pushing it. What do you need to make like five times that for what? I, I don't understand. Like you can have a great life and having, and part of my perspective with all this is that like I achieved really good success as a competitive gamer. And I realized at the top, like there's really, you sacrifice so much and there are more important things. So to me, like I'd rather just kind of do me. And when my account gets to the point where I just absolutely can only trade the best and that's where it's going to be. But I don't think like most traders for a very long time are going to get to that point. So it's just, I just don't think it's worth risking that like mental pain. And um, it's, you know, if I posted a, an, part of a book from Mark Minervini the other day where he said, you know, having one massive win is great, but if you have like a cumulative accumulation of multiple small wins, but you take more of those with compounding, you actually outperform those big wins. So mm -hmm. to me, there's an easier way with less stress. And I cannot, like I, ex I execute at a really high level now just because I've practiced it. I know exactly what to do no emotion. And I think that's where you want to be as a trader. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely nice once, um, getting past the beginning parts, getting settled into a routine. And like you said, where it's, uh, you're systematic, there's no emotion to it. Um, you know, just, to, I, I guess to make sure I understood you correctly, Brian, to, to summarize what you're saying, um, you know, like sort of like, you know, my approach, and this is kind of like dating back to me, like playing poker, uh, professionally is like, I, I, I always try to definitely not worry about the money, the worry about the money and that the money will come from the process of a, like a rigid, uh, sticking to the process, sticking to, Hey, just making sure I make, you know, I execute this trade correctly. Hey, I make sure I play this hand the correct way and just ruthlessly focusing on that. And then everything else will take care of itself. Is that, is that the essence of what you were saying? Um, so, sort of, I know, I know in, in, gambling like there is more of that same mentality of like going big when the iron is hot but i think the diff like the major difference with trading is that you can play 
a lot of hands at the same time. And what happens is that like, I literally suck so bad at trading that people wouldn't really believe how many mistakes I make, but because I don't think anything of any, of any trade specifically, a lot of times the trades I think are the most absolute trash are the ones that bail me out of these days where the setups I think are the best are failing. And those are the, the ones that actually push me through profitability. And if I like, if I was thinking the same, like everybody else who, you know, are watching like the most important, like most volatile stocks of that day, and I put everything into it, then I think by this point, I would have taken so many big losses that it would have really shattered my confidence. So like, you know, today is it's Friday, the 19th November, there was like this GTEC low float and that stock literally chopped everyone up and myself, I got slipped extremely hard, like two, three times more than my risk parameters, uh, on two trades. And I just feel like, you know, people look, look at all these setups and they think like very basically about it. Oh, it's up a lot. Oh, it's, you know, look at it just failed. It halted up, failed, whatever. And I'm going to catch this big backside, but there are so many other trades where they just go in your favor without any fuss. And if you put the risk on that in proportion to what you're putting on basically every single trade, then you're going to come out net net positive, even with all those mistakes. Like I got completely destroyed on the sticker, but I'm still green on the day. And this happens all the time. So I think people miss really uh, don't understand like the power of just taking trades as they come and for what they are at the level you are, because the most important thing to me is to actually just keep growing, growing my risk. And that's the way that I make money. So I feel bad for people who feel the pressure to make so many perfect executions and perfect trades. Cause I think there's so much I can do to improve and I'm not even anywhere near my potential, but I'm wildly profitable. So the way I always tell people is like, look, you could, you could try to trade like you're like some traders on um, Twitter are basically like Kobe, Kobe's and LeBron's of their craft, like tape reading, scalping, whatever. And they still have these massive drawdowns and these massive, you know, pain points. And, or you could just follow someone who absolutely sucks at trading, who still makes money and a lot of it. And at the very least, if you're, if you're better than me, if you're more disciplined than me, if you're more statistically minded than myself, you can actually do way better than me. So I just think that it's unfair comparison and there's an easier way basically for everybody to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, tra- trading and I, and I think you would agree with me, Brian, it's just, it's, um, it's a game between yourself. I mean, it's not, and I know a lot of times people do get hung up on, Oh, he's doing this, he's doing that. But, um, yeah, just, I think a ruthless focus on, on oneself and making progressive progression within ourselves. Um, I think we'll like probably go a long way now, Brian, I know you mentioned, um, having your, probably your best year ever. I'm curious to, you know, the improvements, um, and the, you know, the adjustments you've made over the past year. Yeah. So the thing is like, I just practiced my process, uh, refined it to a point where I'm basically just executing it with more risk. And that's the simple truth of the reason why, you know, we practice and practice and practice and keep our size manageable. It's because like all it is, is a matter of scaling, but 
you do have to learn all of the little things that comes along with it. Like one of the things that has really been on my mind <laughs> is what JJ said last time, where it's like, if there's no supply, you know, there's a big problem. And there's times where I've gone to trades where I can like kind of move the market in a sense or hold things up or cause like mini squeezes or whatever. And that's something that you can't learn from just going 10 X your size the next day or two X or whatever. That's something you have to learn slowly. And like, there've been plenty of trades where I've been up huge, but because liquidity doesn't allow me to, I have to take a lot of those profits off the table because there's no one to sell them to So there's like exactly. a lot of things that you have yeah. to learn. Right. right. And yeah. So well, that's maybe we'll a, teach you to run the stops. We'll teach you how to run stops now to create some liquidity. Well, that's what, that's <laughs> honestly what I've come to recognize now. Like I, yeah. by, by growing, I'm starting to recognize, like, it's actually not that difficult for even a retail trader to, to cause movement. And, you know, yeah. I know the pain points of traders yeah. because I've been there too, but yeah. as a newer trader, you have no concept of this problem because you have no ability to move market whatsoever. So yeah, it's, it's you know. cool that you're getting to that point of size where you can actually move some of this thin stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, because now once you start, you know, getting into that um, you know, you can, you can sort of have some, you can have some fun. You can also get yourself trapped yeah. in, in pretty, uh, in pretty bad situations, but uh, you know, you know, it's always fun to bully a market. Come on. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, where the stops are, you look at the structure and you're like, okay, you know, I'm short. And I know if I break that level, like I call it the pinata effect, right. If you break that level, all the candy falls out. Right. So, you know, that that's why, you know, a lot of prop traders will gun for those stops. Right. And that's, that's a really cool thing. It's nice too, that you're, that you said, because when you start increasing your position, you don't know how that market's going to react to the size of your position especially some of this stuff. I don't know. I'm very curious. I'd love to see what some of the stuff you're trading, um, yeah. you know, because that would be, uh, I'll have to take a look at that and see, you know, the liquidity of that stuff. If you're, if you're moving stuff around, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It, well, I wish I wasn't because it was much simpler back then. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Right? That's why you have to sometimes, like I remember, you know, you need to move, like, you know, you need to sell 500,000 shares of stock and you see size, bit underneath, you know, I'm hitting that size and I'll go through anybody to get to it, you know, because <laughs> I need to get out, right. I need to get liquid yeah. and I'll, I'll take everybody. I'll sell to everybody. You know, <laughs> if your mom's buying, I'll sell to her, right. I'll sell to everybody on the way down. I hit every bid. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so Brian, what's up, what's up with this man? I, I seen you take a long trade the other week. What was, what was uh -oh. that about? Uh oh, oh yeah. I've so, to answer like part of your question before, like what, what I've been changing is like, I've been looking at longing, not in the sense that I'm good at it, but as a form of kind of risk management to like keep me out of trades where, uh, you know, I shouldn't be short. And so I just look at these setups where I know I shouldn't be short and I just take the other side and I don't really care like what the outcome is. It's just, I kind of have a better feel for when I should be short by thinking about when longs are going to sell. Mm -hmm. And it just happens that like in that moment, I just made a really quick profit, like for a short seller making like six hours, like very takes a long time, but I made it in like three, four minutes on as long. And I was like, what the heck? So it's something that I've like, 
it's something I definitely keeping, you know, in my playbook, but uh, it does help from time to time. Not like that good with it. It's just an optimization I've been thinking about. Mm -hmm. Just maybe another, uh, yeah, another, another play for the playbook potentially this way you're thinking along Mm -hmm. the lines. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, you know, and when we were messaging a little bit, it, it was funny is like, I, you know, cause Ryan, like, like me coming into trading like two years ago, I, um, I, I didn't, you know, I felt like I was like limiting myself by just shorting. Like that's what I always like gravitated towards naturally. And what I was uh, way better at at first. And um, I'm like, no, 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 I gotta like, you know, I want to keep my options open. I don't want to like pigeonhole myself, but it was funny once I actually just decided just to short, um, I, you know, became immensely more profitable right off the get-go. Um, and so I guess it's, you know, it's probably better for people starting off to focus in on one thing first, right? Get really good at one thing first. And then, you know, then you probably start adding on for there where I was kind of trying to do it like ass backwards at first. <laughs> I would, I would agree. Uh, but here's the thing. This is something that I guess people can use as a little bit of a framework fl- framework. Sorry. There's a different difference in shorting and longing, which I think is like the main reason why people find more consistency in shorting. It's just shorting generally is a mean reversion strategy. So it's a little more consistent, more controlled it comes to you. Sure. Whereas longing is a lot more momentum. There, there are mean reversion opportunities with longing, but they're not as, uh, they're not as often. Um, so with momentum, you know, especially when you're trading a market, it's like small caps, this is, it's not necessarily favored for long bias traders all the time. Um, you have to sell into the, into strength and you have to kind of like re-add your position. And so it's a lot, I'd say it's a lot more chaotic, but there's like a lot of upside potential, but it does depend a lot on the demand and the sectors and just the kind of psychology of the average bull. So you have all these things you have to kind of combine, whereas like uh, short selling in terms of mean reversion, like just by virtue of literally the words mean reversion, there's kind of like a a fair price or something like this and you're just trying to take it to that target so it is it is a little bit more consistent in the sense that your targets can hit a lot more consistently whereas like as a long buyer you have no idea how much how long the demand is going to persist and so if you kind of overstay your welcome you can get trapped and there's a lot of games involved so it's like it's very uneasy feeling and i've i've tried going long to these targets that i have and I, I find that a lot of times, like there's so much volatility that I can't handle the emotion of it. Like I found it's best to literally just sell into strength every time. And if I have a further price target, I'm just going to re-add. And, and it's a, di- it's just a totally different style of trading. Whereas like, I think shorting, you can be a little bit more relaxed as long as you build your position responsibly, you manage the risk and then let like the trade work for you rather than like you working for the trade towards your goal. Yeah. Excellent. I, I think you broke that down very well, for sure. Absolutely. Um, one of the listener questioners we have was, um, how, how's your general ap- approach towards swinging short trades? I will swing occasionally, but not very much just because the, uh, there's so much uh, unknown. But I do know that like swinging in general provides a lot more like meat, which could be beneficial for some traders just because the more uh, potential for your price target, the wider your risk can be just because so you can get like a pretty good risk reward ratio. Um, but the thing is like, you just have no idea 
what can go on in after hours. Like I really, I really hate after hours in the sense that I feel like it shouldn't exist because it's, it feels like such a gamble. Every time I'm just watching the level two and like how it's moving, it's how it's so liquid. There are just so many things that fake you out if you're like really on edge about your position. And so like, I only really will swing something if I think there's like a potential for like an offering or that my price target didn't hit. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's necessarily a good thing to do uh, for traders who are not like at the super advanced stage because it is going to do a lot of things for you. Like for example, in the past, I used to experiment with swinging and like the next day there would be a lot of opportunities, but because I had my position locked up, that buying power for like an extra, like little bit of profit, relatively speaking to the other trades I could be taking was like a massive opportunity cost for me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there are different requirements for like how much uh, margin you're required to like meet their uh, standards as a, as a firm. And so you might have more buying power locked up than you expected. And then you also have sort of additional like random fees. Uh, with So it's like, <laughs> to me, the accounting is just not fun. And it's not cool. I like to know how much money I have at the end of the day. And I like to go to bed with like no stress. Smart. Yeah, yeah, it is. No, it could definitely be stressful. I, um, I, it's something I've, I, I did grow a liking towards Brian swinging short. And then, um, I've, you know, I've had some good, like real good, you know, gap yeah. downs. I've had some bad ones go against me for sure. But, um, think to the point you're saying with even the opportunity cost, um, of having the margin tied up, maybe some of the fees I thought about maybe the long-term sustainability. I don't know. It's still something I, I go back and forth with a little bit and I'm still trying to figure out for myself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I feel like a lot of times too, JJ, I don't know. You can tell me, I, I feel like, um, the after hours is for some games to be played more often well, than not. Actually, it's, it's really cool that you guys are talking about actually trading in after hours because, uh, you know, after hours was really not for retail traders. That's when we do our business. Like we, like, say I'm working out a million shares for you and Brian, uh, that's when I print that trade to your account, right? Uh, and if I need to do a little bit more, uh, you know, to make up for something, I'll do it in the after hours with one of my institutional guys, right? So now that, yeah, it's 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 not, yeah, it's like, it's almost like after hours is like, we're cleaning the donut shop and that's why you're getting chopped up because, you know, you're sitting there and, and we're sweeping the floors, you know, and you guys feet, you're in the middle, you're in the way, right? So it's that, that, that's that after hours thing. I, I, I didn't know, but I think a lot of people do trade it. Some of these deals that I have seen, like I remember when, um, like when LCID runs, a lot of times it'll run in the after hours and it looks actually very tradable. Um, you know, some of that stuff, but yeah, any liquid stuff, I imagine it's a real pain in the butt to try and move around in there. I haven't (laughs) even tried to do that. I'd be like, you know, I'm a bit of a price action snob though. So uh, I only, I only trade, like I'm very selective about my price action, you know, uh, that's just me. Cause I'm cheap. <laughs> uh, Brian, uh, will, will you, will you short tickers that will have um, whitish spreads? Obviously not egregious, Ooh, but good question. Um, I look, I try to look at the liquidity that's present. Mm-hmm. Obviously you don't always see everything, but if there's a widespread more often than not, I avoid it. I try to see 
if uh, the position I'm taking, if I was full size, like where would my stop be? And is it far enough for me to like manage this risk if something went wrong? Yeah. And a lot of times you can tell by the volume that you're seeing and how prices are moving. So like, you know, if I wanted like 50,000 shares or something and it's moving on like 5,000 shares just on the each candle, it's like, it's untradeable. So uh, I have to look at volume. I have to look at what the level two says. And overall, like the risk is also going to depend on the range of the stock. So if a stock ran up like 100% or something, I'm going to have a lot wider of a risk than if it's like a 15, 30% move. And so based on that, I can make a judgment. And so like, I kind of, what I do is I put the plan in my Excel and then I see like where my stock would be hypothetically. And if it looks like a comfortable level that has like a confluence with like there, you know, technically there's a, it's going to be difficult for it to get that price, even with the spreads being this way Yeah. or I accept this risk and yeah, I'll take it. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, cause you know, I, I, this, this is a question I like, I, I gauge sometimes cause some of these look good in the, but the spread, and I think of like trying to get an exit price or in it, you know, especially if the trade goes against you, it could be a fuck. It could be, you know, it could be a hassle. Um, and I think a lot of times sometimes, um, yeah, it, it could be a tough thing to gauge, um, at the time. And you got to, I guess, toe the line. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Brian, do you, do you take, I'm sure there's differences in approaches to you shorting large caps versus small caps. Yeah. Um, I, re- I recently shorted the EV sector. So I shorted LCID and, uh, RIVN on the day that they kind of topped out. Um, the way that I trade large caps differently is, uh, systematically I'm still trading a similar strategy, like it, mean versions, mean version, no matter what you're trading. But in large caps, they tend to uh, respect levels a bit better. The level two and tape is a little bit more reliable in my opinion. So when I start seeing stalling or like when I think prices should bounce or uh, people will cover or whatever, then I will take off my position and then add it back um, higher towards my price target because I've seen like plenty of times where they, they tank they fall short, just short of where you think it should go because it's some sort of like, you know, round number or whatever it is. And uh, it will have like a pretty dramatic bounce. So I don't want to get caught up in those uh, kind of situations. So like I did post my charts on Twitter for those two trades. And as you can see, like based on like what I nor- how I normally trade small caps where I can kind of control my position and be patient with large caps, I'm definitely more active about the trading, but like the level two does really help a lot with seeing like when there are like points where I can, I should probably get out. And I feel comfortable about this because like there's been so many times where I just kind of held on, like thinking it's going to move the same way and I've been punished. So I just learned to adapt towards those large caps, but the movements can be pretty dramatic if, you know, it's kind of like those outlier situations where they just get really extended. And so I find that they're very similar. And part of what got me into that was, how AMC and GameStop kind of forced me out of my comfort zone into those larger caps and seeing how they trade. So like I got a, a pretty good feel and like uh, comfort with seeing the setups do actually play out pretty similarly. Okay. All right. Nice. All right. All right. So some of the touch on some of the other listener questions we got here, Brian, um, this first one, uh, describe your A plus setup. 
So my, my A plus setup generally is the cash is super low on the company. They have fresh dilution. And I know like more often than not on this day, because they don't have any trading volume on prior days, that this is the day they're going to start putting, you know, supply into the market. And a lot of those times uh, you can tell right away, just within a couple of minutes, um, how price action is moving. And so when I kind of get confirmation that there is selling present, that helps me kind of stick to these trades. And a lot of times they're not really much of a fuss unless, uh, you know, unless they, it's like a, sometimes there's like dilution, but the company doesn't need to raise cash. And so in some of those situations, people will get really bearish on them just because they think supply will enter the market. But a lot of times those uh, backfire. So that's like one nuance of it. You have to do look at the cash on hand because like the more desperate a company, the more like distressed they are, the more likely they're going to raise capital. And like, it's just such an obvious tell of like when supply will come into the market. So like for me, there's no better kind of indication. And, so, and it, it works on large caps too. Like there was a time that uh, Tesla did a huge at the market offering or even like the, the most recent example was when Elon said, Hey, I'm going to sell some shares. And I did not take the ATM play before. Cause I was like, Oh, it's a large cap. It's going to be different, but like, it's not They're They're going to raise capital and they're going to be supplying the market. And I regretted not taking that trade. So it's like across, across like sectors and whatever mid cap, large cap, small cap, like, you know, raising capital is raising capital. Like there, mm-hmm. there's, is going to be supply on one side. Yeah. It, it, it's funny, Brian, I, it, this, some of the cash I've seen on, on the, on the books for some of these companies, I got more cash <laughs> in my pocket. It, it, it's insane. <laughs> no, like, like this one I was trying to, and I missed, I missed it today, but I was trying to short it yesterday. I think it's R E T O was, was a ticker. Uh, they got a, it says 120 now, 120, uh, 120 bucks of cash on the books. Now I don't know if the date is right, but like, some of these it's egregiously low, like sub it's, sub five K, sub ten K. It's insane. It's, it's it's development stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I'm looking, right? That thing traded nineteen million dollars worth of paper today. Someone's got R E T O. I know I missed yeah. it. I I I I missed it. That was it. a nice that was a nice call because it just dropped off a cliff yeah, at the open. No. Right, because I, I got stopped but, out yesterday. Yeah, but but I'm 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 looking. Hey, I I'll I'll take thirty percent of that nineteen million dollars today. Yeah, that's that. I'll take thirty percent of that. Thank you very much. I, I it's just funny. It's just always funny to me when it's so egregiously low. It's just uh, I don't know. <laughs> Development <funny>. stage. <laughs> Development stage. Right. <laughs> All right, Brian. Next next listener question uh, we have here. I guess it's fairly straightforward. Where's the best place I can paper trade micro cap stocks with live data? Mm. Uh, when I started, I used uh, interactive brokers, uh, but you don't have to use IB. You can also just go to, to Dash Trader. So, like, they have this thing where you can uh, you can pay for their platform and data uh, and paper trade it. And what I when I started paper trading, I used DOS because I knew like a lot of professional traders that I saw were using it, and so I wanted to get accustomed to that interface. I also like the way they looked; it's super intuitive, and so. That's a good way because IB has a uh, integration with DOS where you can pay for the platform, but trade using your interactive brokers account. And that was a good way to kind of practice for me. Okay. All right. Excellent. All right. Now this next question, we kind of talked in and around or danced around it a little bit, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway, Brian. Um, 
finding the balance between mass maximizing your risk and reward and win rate when it comes to creating entry and exit signals for a system. Yeah. So what I found and what I learned like way long ago was that it just seems like three to one is just this golden ratio. I mean, if, uh, you know, like Fibonacci is like the golden ratio for numbers, like three to one in, in short selling is like the golden ratio, even like a lot of the, um, like traders I talk to at, at a pretty high level, like they're usually having a lower risk reward in that, in that range and a higher win rate because, uh, at some point when you, when you basically like force it to the next level, which I've done myself, where you go like four or five, six, seven, whatever, uh, it becomes suboptimal at a point just because like you're taking these losses and, uh, you, you shouldn't take those losses. And so there is this like optimal way to trade your risk reward and balance your win rate out where you don't have to force it like me. Uh, what I found is like, as you grow more size, you're going to physically get slipped all the time. And so when that slippage comes into play, you also have to factor in like, okay, I'm getting more reward, but I'm consistently getting slipped. And that has a huge effect on your bottom line. Whereas like traders who are a little bit bigger, like a lot bigger than myself, uh, they're going to want to prioritize win rate because when they lose, they definitely want to be wrong at that point. And uh, it's just, there is definitely a balance. So I would say stick to three to one, just like really build that out. And when you're really confident with this, you can start experimenting, but I can tell you from someone who's pushed it as far as I feel like I could go, that it has its disadvantages because you start to like identify with certain dollar amounts, uh, because you're like making like a pretty good amount versus your risk. And pulling back is difficult. So I found like through stats that I should be having a lower risk reward with more win rate, but like I'm having trouble going backwards. <laughs> and so <laughs> you kind of have to get used to it and just like really enjoy for what it is. And just like, you don't need someone to tell you. Cause like for me, I had I literally had no one to look up to in this respect. So I was just like, I'm going to figure out for myself. And I did. So uh, I could tell you the end result. It's just not, it's not really necessarily worth it to push it that far i would say like three fours uh with like a 40 40 50 percent win rate is like really good other than that you know trading with a 25 percent win rate is not really that easy so <laughs> it takes a special person to like sure. really believe in their system but i believe in my system because i practice so much at every single level that i know like i can go back if i need to yeah absolutely all right Next question, as you use R's and are pretty rigorous with your stops and risk reward metrics, could you give us an idea of how you determine roughly where you will take profits? What kind of levels are you watching to get out? Thanks. Hmm. So my, my price targets are all systematic um, with, in the sense that I'm looking for a back-tested exit. It can be, there's like, I always tell people that, uh, you know, just find one that's really consistent. But like something that I don't really share that much is that I overlay several systems that are backtested. So like I might be seeing two, three, or four uh, exit targets. Uh, I know which one's the most optimal, which one's safe, which will hit the most of the time. And I usually try to go for like the most extreme one. But when I see 
stalling or I see uh, technical reasons like trend breaks or time or, you know, just straight up stats, whatever it is, like there are reasons to get out of these levels as well as just your own kind of intuition about like, okay, it's good enough because a lot of times people force these trades to the absolute uh, price target, but like sometimes it'll stop short. And if you're going to fight over just like a couple pennies or whatever it is, uh, you have to get that checked. Like, even if I'm systematic about my price targets, like I'm still going to look at it. Like this is the point where I should get out because it flushed out and it's going to be followed by a bounce probably. And because it's so close, like with, in terms of mean reversion, a lot of times when you, when you find that uh, mean, uh, a lot of times there's, there is going to be a reversal and it has no reason to go lower unless there's like a really a lot of supply in the market. So I would just say that, um, if you can figure out like a price target that always, or generally most of the time will work, have your stretch price target. Like that's a way to expand upon what I've already shared, but having it systematic is, uh, something that really helps because that way I can't look at it and be like, Oh, I just feel like I should get out here. Yeah. It's more of like, this is what I've tested time and time again. I've seen it hundreds of times, thousands of times by now. I'm just going to go for it. If it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit, but like, I know it should, um, based on what I've practiced. Yeah. I mean, it helps so much being systematic. Um, I, you know, I feel like you could be fooled by randomness so much and, and people really trying to, uh, I guess take a very discretionary could be tough, but I, I think, you know, I'm at a fault too, Brian, um, of, uh, the, the way you phrased it, you know, you have your extreme price target. I think I sometimes get a little bit stubborn, uh, on me always trying to reach that. Cause I, I'm, I'm always trying to hit like squeeze every ounce out of the trade, which I think is probably necessary to a point. Like, I think some people get too happy and take things off too soon. Um, but I like everything we've probably been talking about it. There's a fine line. Um, you know, there's a balance to be had. Um, mm -hmm. all right. Next question. How do you factor in fundamentals into your system floats, um, dilutions, et cetera, if at all. So, uh, fundamentals are important to understand. You want to be able to reference the news and see if it's something that is noteworthy, uh, could cause, uh, you know, disruption towards a strategy. Like sometimes there are random things that happen, like like Trump tweeting about DWAC or his son tweeting about some other coffee company or whatever. Some, I forgot what it was, but he was like, yeah, yeah. you know, there, there are these random elements to the market where you have to be aware, like someone with hundreds of thousands or millions of followers can cause kind of madness in that moment, or it could be legitimate news, which happens from time to time. So that that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is the fundamental. We kind of discussed that before uh, you want to figure out if, they need to raise capital if they have the structures in place to raise capital. So you have to be familiar with the filings. Uh, you don't have to go like too in depth, but you do have to understand what, what filings are important and be able to kind of look at that within, I don't know, 30 seconds or less and figure out if that's something to factor in. And then uh, most of the time it is majority technical. And a lot of times like I'll take the trade and put the risk on just so that I'm like involved, but then I'll go back and look at like, okay, what is the situation fundamentally? What is it, the news, everything like that. And then like kind of adjust my expectations along the way. Like, you know, I won't be surprised if this goes parabolic. I won't be surprised if this reclaims, I won't be surprised 
if this is weaker than I thought, because I see reasons why it could go either way versus just a completely technical trade. But a lot of times I will just take a technical trade because, um, you know, if it's setting up for me the way I like to see things, then I don't need to know anything about that trade. I just want to be involved in case it works. And if it doesn't, then I just take a small loss, but if it will work, then I'll take a pretty big win. So it works out in the end. Nice. Nice. So, so you plan out all the scenarios, uh, within, within your head. I like it. Um, Brian, uh, something I wanted to ask, uh, to bring it back. Cause it, you, you mentioning, um, having like the different back tested, um, targets, uh, what, what, what type of back testing, um, are you doing? Can you just speak to that? Yeah. So I like, I like to just throw ideas at the wall. So every once in a while, I'll just go into my platform and I'll just throw up like a bunch of different criteria. So I could have a, I have a thesis, like I'll say, okay, maybe time of day is a factor. Maybe a certain indicator will work. Like I'll look at all kinds of things. I'll look at things that I think a lot of people wouldn't even think about, uh, different candles, different, uh, you know, types of, uh, looking at the market, whether it's something that I completely think is bullshit, or if there's some kind of foundational aspect to it, like moving averages. And I just go, I just throw them all up and, and look at all the charts that I trade and see like, is there a way I can make this better and do these work? Is this a fluke? I go through months of them and see, and if a lot of times, like it doesn't really amount to anything, but occasionally I'll find something that I think is interesting. And so I'll kind of monitor it. And then if, um, if it's something that I think has promised, then I'll look to kind of dig into the code and I'll make my own, uh, custom kind of labels to make it easier. Or like I could put in alerts or I can, uh, change the graphical settings, like the colors or the appearance, uh, whether like some of the things that I think are important, I'll probably make them a bit more bold, a bit more bigger, big in your face, things that I think like can play, you know, a factor. Sometimes I'll make them a little bit more muted, a little more neutral. And so I kind of have these, uh, different systems overlaid and uh, eventually through forward testing, cause it, ultimately that's more important, like through your own experience are they working day to day, then I'll be able to judge like, okay, this one didn't really pan out and I'll just take it off and I'll just like, okay, whatever. But I'm always like intellectually curious about the way things, people approach things and like the way different perspectives on the market. So like, I'll ask people, you know, like, what do you see? Or I'll go look at like just the most random kind of uh, strategies people have and just see like, is there merit to this? Because I believe that everyone has something that they're really good at and whether or not you think it's like foolish or whatever, a lot of times there's something that you can learn from people. So I don't, I literally don't discount any uh, method of like technical analysis or whatever. And so I think that open-mindedness allows me to like see things. Uh, and the, the, the beauty of this is that when I can recognize like confluence, like multiple signals or multiple systems converging on a single point, then that gives me so much more confidence in like my execution, because I know like he's looking at this, she's looking at that. I see this. And if we all kind of agree, then price might conform to those ideas. So to me, that, that, uh, holistic perspective helps me kind of, you know, be open to, to all different kinds of ways of trading. Yeah, no, I, I love it. You're absolutely right. Like, like, 
you can learn from anyone from anybody and you know incorporate it into what you see or the the confluence uh, i love everything you said um and also brian just um out of my own curiosity how often are you um back testing is this a weekly thing a monthly thing or yeah i i back test i used to back test basically every day before but these days i'm more relaxed you know last weekend i was doing it and uh you know people pass by like my wife and she'll be like what are you doing and i'm like she's like that looks cool and i'm like yeah you know i'm i'm on trading view and I'm, there's so many colors and stuff because i'm just putting all these random stuff on my chart and i just like i don't know i i get a kick out of seeing these uh different ways like these different indicators and stuff like that because sometimes you look at it and you're like whoa you know this is this is interesting so for me just finding those moments it it, it keeps trading interesting and I feel like there's so many different things to look at. So um, I just do it like when I feel there's something that I can prove. So the, kind of the way to think about it is initially when I'm like building my system, I'm like, okay, what do I need? What is like something that I'm weak at or something that I could improve at? And when you think, when you start thinking in these terms, you can start narrowing down like what is actually relevant to that need so like you know sometimes people they don't know where to start so they'll look at like if you use the volume profile right and you're trying to like find tops on stocks you're never going to find the top because the volume profiles builds out as the trade is occurring and you can certainly use it in other ways but like it's it's completely well it's not completely relevant but it's not the most efficient way of like finding tops so i think if people start thinking about what they need, then they can start narrowing down and like filtering by this. And eventually you'll just come to find things that you like or things that you identify with. And whether you decide to keep it for the long run or not, or just test it out. Like to me, that whole play aspect makes this more of like a strategy game than, yeah. uh, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I really enjoy doing like, like that type of work, um even like i think of it too like to compare it to sports like when i was playing football i loved watching game a uh, game film preparing before the game poker like running the simulations before playing and i think a lot of times like um that like I, I i like to think in terms of that's where my money's being made like and now obviously you have to execute and you need that aspect as well but i think the away from the charts after hours work is uh you know just as important um as well um Brian, I got some miscellaneous, two miscellaneous questions and I'll get you out of here. Um, one, congratulations on uh, the wedding. When's it, when's it coming up? It's in, it's in April, 2022. We, we got eloped because we've been waiting for so long, but um, we're going to have like an official ceremony for the family and friends in April. So that was a long time coming. We've been engaged like almost eight, nine years. And <laughs> Whoa. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. she's been with me, you know, from the start. So. God bless her. God bless her. Yeah, no, uh, we're happy for you, Brian, man. No, awesome, man. I'm sure it'll be a great time. Um, so I guess that wasn't a question. That was more of a comment. Now questions. Um, what are you, uh, what are you currently reading? So I I've been recommended a lot. This uh, book relentless. Um, I think it's the guy who coached Kobe and Jordan, things like that. Okay. Uh, that, that one sounds really interesting. I did recently recommend a couple books and I'm, I was rereading them. Uh, one of them that's really, really, really underrated is the book called The Natural by Tim Parker or 
autumnal uh, city or winds. I, 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 you know, I forgot the name, but it's, it's literally on my Twitter feed so you can find it. He has like a free ebook mm-hmm. and this is a, a story that he's made and written himself. And it is incredible. It, it, you can read it in one day. I got through it in one day. Uh, my friend Bryce, who's at seven points, he was like, Hey, check this book out. I, I got it. I couldn't put it down. And by the end of it, I was like, man, this is one of the best books I've read on. And like, it's in my top three now. It's something that I return to here and there. And like, there are so many things that are quotable about this book because mm-hmm. he's a very eloquent writer. And, um, you know, he, I don't want to spoil it, but you have to kind of be patient with the first half because the first half sets up the second half where he talks more about trading. The first half is not really about trading, but it all com- connects towards the end. And it's very satisfying if you can just like stick to that part where it's a little bit slow. Okay. All right. Excellent. All right, Brian. Um, last question. What have you been dabbling in any like NFTs at all? <laughs> Cryptocurrency? Not, not at all. <laughs> any, th- at any, all. any thoughts, any thoughts on the, on the, uh, uh, on NFTs? Well, I, I can see the argument for when it, there's a, like a value outside where you, you know, you have permission to certain events or, uh, you have access to like say creator perks things like this mm-hmm. uh, but the the art aspect i feel when you're just generating you know random stuff online i, I can go on a website and generate like a million things and say you know having a gold background is like a 0.01% chance whatever and ascribe value to that it's just kind of i don't know it just seems like a way to kind of launder money for people like i've i've seen ways that you know in in our world uh, i'm not saying that's not part of our world but like in, in retro gaming, they'll, these, these guys, they'll go to auction and they'll just bid up their own game. And so that they get the headline, like, oh, it's sold for a million bucks yeah. to generate interest. People think that there's something to it. I think that uh, that's kind of a dangerous game to, to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I probably will have a, some crypto exposure uh, in the stable coins, but not so much in the, uh, you know, the altcoins just because. I just want to set it and forget it and not be like missed out. But the whole, you know, pass it on to somebody who wants to buy it at these absurd prices, it just seems kind of irresponsible. Uh, but, you know, I don't really know much about it. So have that's, you, uh, have you, you know, I wanted to ask you too, because, um, you know, I, I got, I got a few of like the, like the, not really artworks, but maybe like the PFPs that they're the, the avatar things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the part that really interested me is the gaming, like the NFT gaming. I don't know if that's anything you've actually explored or if you've seen. You've seen. Okay, that- you, you, should, you should look into it. It's interesting. Well, like, like for example, one of the things I'm in, it's a, it's a, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, and people are probably sick of it, but it's a horse racing game. And the horses are actually NFTs, but you, you bet on the horses, you can breed the horses, you can try and produce the winners. Um, and there's, there's prize pools, and like the prize pools are starting to get like pretty big um now for it and the, the horses are the nfts so you hold the horses in your crypto wallet etc and like there's a lot of different games i've been uh because this is something that's interesting to me so i've been like really diving down it um i just wanted to ask about you you know I, I, as obviously as a former <laughs> gamer um but yeah maybe something you should you should check out i think it's pretty interesting for sure i mean it's the way i see things is just i'm gonna stick to what i do well and that I'm consistent at. And 
like honestly if the next couple of years just go the way that i want them to like i really won't have anything to worry about and neither will you know the people in my family or the next generation or whatever it is so uh, i'm just going to do my best at what i'm at good at and hopefully you know people find their success in whatever they're good at but i think that trading as a skill is uh that's the thing i put all my time and energy to so and it's really rewarding that's what i'm going to keep doing absolutely i love it i love it and that's going to conclude today's episode of confession of a market maker if you guys enjoyed today's episode please rate and review it for us if you'd like to join a supportive and professional group of traders, you can join JJ and I at microefutures.com. Brian, uh, tell the listeners where to find you and anything else you want them to know. Yeah, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Lee Trades. Um, there you'll find, if you're new to my feed, just go ahead and go to the pin post. I have a, a link that will share you know, all the relevant links and get you caught up to speed interviews, uh, blogs, videos. And I really recommend that you read the blogs because there's, I look back at them sometimes and I'm like, wow, you know, the, the emotions and the experiences I had, um, the way that I described it, I felt like I couldn't even describe it like that today. So it's kind of a really interesting thing to look back on. And I find that it's one of the pieces of content that people uh, don't really reference, but a lot of the strategies and things that I use today are all listed in there in detail and in a way that's better than I can explain to you or just like a random blurb on, on Twitter. So like, I would really encourage you to dig into those and let me know what you think. All right, JJ, parting words. Uh, Once again, Brian, thank you so much for coming and spending time with us, hanging out and uh, discussing these things. Really, really loved the work that you, uh, that you're doing and how you're sharing your knowledge with, um, you know, um, newer traders and things like that. I think it's really, it's great that you're giving back that way. So it's, uh, it's great to see. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, JJ. It's, uh, it's always interesting to talk to you. About the market. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I could, I'm sure a lot of traders are, they want to just talk to you all day about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I like talking to you guys because like where I live, my friends don't even want to hear me think, talk about that. They don't shut up about that stock market stuff. So that's, uh, I love talking to you guys. It's great. Anytime yeah. drop by. Brian, always appreciate it, man. Uh, appreciate the high level discussion, the thoughtfulness that you always bring, man. I, uh, mm-hmm. both episodes I've really, you know, I always get a lot out of it. So keep up the good work, man. Appreciate you. Maybe we can do this again, like another update, you know, whenever. Absolutely. uh, Happy to be here. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Excellent. So for Brian Lee, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. Make sure you're using stops.